Welcome to the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast. I'm your host, Claire Sieber, global career and leadership coach, facilitator, speaker, and founder of Eating Your Cake 2, a business focused on helping you sell yourself with more confidence and take control of your career and leadership success. Right here on this podcast, you'll learn how to amplify your influence, accelerate your career growth, create real presence and have a true impact by learning the tools and strategies that you need to show up with more courage, more confidence and more clarity. Are you ready? Let's do it. Meet Shane Hatton. The formal intro to Shane is that he works with organizations to develop remarkable people leaders. He helps close the gap between mid and senior level leaders and helps leaders spend less time fighting fires and dealing with transactional problems and more time moving the important pieces of work forward. Shane is an author, trainer, coach and speaker based out of Melbourne, Australia, but works online all around the world. Shane is a member of the Forbes Global Coaches Council, a Gallup certified strengths coach and the author of Lead the Room communicate a message that counts in moments that matter. The informal introduction to Shane is that he is just seriously a top bloke. In a world that seems hell-bent on constant competition, Shane brings a genuine desire to collaborate and pay it forward, which I have experienced firsthand and can say that it was truly something refreshing. Shane doesn't take himself too seriously and he also loves a good lol, which as you know, is something that I value immensely. I am so excited to welcome Shane onto the show and talk all things leadership. Let's do it. Welcome, Shane Haddon, to the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast. I'm so pumped that you are here for episode eight. I'm so excited that you would have me on this podcast. And here's, I'm going to interrupt for a second and because I know you're going to welcome me and you're going to talk about me, but I want to talk about you because I, 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 I've connected with you for a little while and I've seen a lot of your writing and things that you put out into the world. And I've, I actually have thought you have a voice that actually needs to be shared with a large audience. So when you said I'm launching a podcast, I actually thought it was one of the greatest things that you could have been, uh, that you could have done. Cause I think you have a voice that needs to be heard. So I will say that right from the start. Thank you. That's um, I feel like there's probably a lot of people listening that are like her voice is actually nasal and quite painful, but hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully the content at least and the, and the message that I stand for that hopefully people, people love, but I appreciate that. I really do. And I love, um, you know, we were chatting about this obviously before, like this is really only the third time we've kind of connected, but I feel like we've had a, a mutual admiration from a, from a distance and like a little bit of a, a like here and a like there and a comment here and a comment there on, on various socials. And then we finally had a first coffee catch up a couple of months back. And I feel like I've known you for, for years. So it's great to meet somebody where you actually just pick up from wherever and can talk. I mean, before we got on this call, we were even talking about funny ways, if you were going to cark it, what those funny ways would be. And I don't know if I've ever had that kind of conversation with somebody I've actually only met three times. 
Yeah. I mean, it's usually it's professional making friends when you go and like a LinkedIn post. That's how you make professional friends. It's your way of saying like, oh, I would love to be your friend, but I don't know how to reach out and say, let's be friends as adults. Um, so what you do is you just engage on LinkedIn and then you hopefully set up a conversation over coffee. And of course, that first conversation, we were like kindred spirits and went, <laughs> okay, this is going to be a a good person to stay in touch with. And so I've always loved our chats and and kind of never know where, gonna, where they're going to end up, which is why I'm excited for this podcast. Yeah, awesome. So I obviously know, you know, a little bit about you and, and what you do, but for the people listening, I would love them to hear the same, you know, bit about your journey. So, you know, where did you start and how has that kind of led you ultimately to, to where you're at now with your business? Oh, it's such a big a big conversation and a big journey. But I mean, in a nutshell, I would describe myself, I'm Queenslander by birth, um, Melbourneian by choice. I like to think of myself, I'm a very kind of curious by nature person. I'm a learner. I I just love any opportunity to learn and have have really good conversations. And I I think that I'm a bit of a creative at heart. And so I, I love anything that allows me to express and use a bit of creativity. And so all of those things are kind of woven into who I am as a person. But what I do in terms of work, I I kind of have sat at this really interesting intersection of business and people. Like my entire life has been either kind of straddling the relationship between, you know, business, which was most of my experience in marketing and kind of working as a marketing consultant for a period of time. And then people, I've worked in kind of not-for-profit spaces and, and kind of leadership communities and community building and those kind of aspects. And I, I did post-grad study in psychology. And so I've kind of intersected these two worlds of business and psychology and what I do now in leadership development, helping ultimately kind of mid-level leaders or people in the middle of an organization, people leaders, um, ultimately just be remarkable at what they do in the way that they lead people. That's fantastic. And I think, you know, that, that middle management space in particular is in my view, is one of the, if not the hardest position to be in inside the organisation. Like I kind of often, you know, very technical term, call it the smush sandwich, you know, because you're really feeling all the feels when it comes to just being stuck in the middle. I'm trying to manage and influence upwards, sideways and downwards, kind of all at the same time. I'm pulled like a pork bun. I love that expression. I, I'm, I'm absolutely using that. I feel as a people leader, I'm pulled as a pork bun. <laughs> feel free to take it. Take it, love it, own it. But it's really, you know, you see people moved into team leader roles or middle management roles for the first time, usually because they were really a really solid individual contributor and they were really technically great at what they do. And now they've then been kind of thrust into this management type role. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh God, oh God, what do I do now? Alarm bells, (laughs) alarm bells. And I imagine that you see this play out a lot with the people that you work with and the people you speak to. Yeah, it's usually one of two reasons. It's that reason that they were really good at their job or the second one is that they were the last one standing and everybody else has left and they're the person with the most experience in the role. It is challenging in one way is that you're probably the most influential person in the organisation because you have contact with the most number of people on a day-to-day basis you probably have some of the least amount of power and authority in the organization in terms of controlling what takes place and what happens. So most of the time your role is communicating what's happening, correcting what should be happening and what's not happening and kind of leading the day-to-day issues of people who are in your organization. And no one really prepares you for that. 
I often think about it like when those days were where we were traveling all over the world, you know, when you become like a frequent flyer, you can become like a platinum level frequent flyer and you learn how to navigate airports. You know, how long do I need to be at the airport before my flight so I can move through security? How do I go to the lounge? Do all that kind of stuff. And you know almost every single stage of the flight path, right? You know when you take off, you know when the safety demonstration, you can recite it word for word. You can be like platinum level frequent flyer. But then if I grabbed you and I thrust you behind the controls of the plane and went, all right, now you're responsible for flying the plane, not a single person that I know would put trust in that platinum level frequent flyer to be able to fly you from destination A to destination B. And yet we do the exact same thing with most people leaders. I love that analogy. It also just made me feel momentarily like I was going on a holiday and getting on a plane. But I think yeah. I think you're feels spot like a lifetime on. ago. <laughs> you're you're spot on there. Yet how you know the I know that I've worked in organisations. I'm currently working with organisations as a you, where we kind of continue to be surprised when we move people into these roles, and then perhaps it isn't working out the way that we had, we had expected. What are some of the things that you really see play out when a new, a new leader is just pushed into or thrust into this kind of leadership or management role for the first time? There's probably three big ones that I, I see play out for people. The first one is they find themselves in leadership and I don't love using the word, but I think it's it's one that people will relate to is that imposter syndrome. And, and really what they're talking about when they say, I've got that feeling of imposter syndrome is they generally will say to themselves, can I really be a leader? And most of the time it's because I've never had to lead people before. When you say, are you good at your job? They would say, oh, I'm really good at my job. And when would you say, are you proficient in your expertise? Yeah, I'm, I'm proficient. I'm capable in my terms of my expertise, but can you lead people? Oh, I'm not sure if I can. And so that immediately, uh, that immediate feeling of lacking confidence in stepping into a leadership role shows up really quickly. The second one is that more often than not, our only example for leadership has been people that have led us in the past. And that goes one of two ways. It's either the leader that left an impression on you or the kind of person that I would say is the remarkable leader. It's the person that you think about whenever you say, who's that person that made a big impact on your, your life and career? And it's that one name that pops to mind. Like that's the remarkable leader. Or it's the person who was a horrible leader for you and your entire kind of approach to leadership is just don't do what they did. And if I can just figure that out, but the challenge is that nobody really has any benchmark of what effective leadership looks like. And then the last kind of big thing is that they go, and who do I turn to, to try and find that out? Like, who do I turn to, to help navigate the highs and lows of leadership? And I'm not really sure. And so whether it's about confidence, whether it's about that capability or whether it's just that leadership community, those are the big three things that I see coming up for people. Yeah, I think that's great. And I, you know, even listening to you speak, I was having a conversation even with one of my clients about this last week, who's an incredible, and hopefully she's listening, incredible, incredible businesswoman. And we were having a conversation around this concept of like, yeah, if you asked me if I was really good, technically really good at my job, yeah, absolutely. Because I've got, you know, these degrees that tell me that I am, or I've got yep. X number of years in this particular field. So absolutely, yep, I tick that box. I'm great at my job. Yet who am I? Who am mm. I to all of a sudden <laughs> be leading a group of people or leading a team and, and what what certificate or award or whatever, like the real imposter feels, I'll feel, I'll feel better about myself if an award or a certificate tells me that I can do this. But this belief that we hold that we can't do it, whereas like I really have a theory that we're actually doing it well before we formally given the title 
if we choose to frame it that way. But I've only had this realization, I think, since stepping out of corporate, because I can think back to when I was moved into pretty significant leadership role. I identify with everything you just said around the confidence, the imposter syndrome, the self-doubt, the thinking everybody must be looking at me going, who is she? She doesn't deserve to be here. What value does she add? And I was purely basing that on lack of time formally in a leadership role. Yeah. I mean, I talk to people who've been in leadership for decades and I've talked, I've interviewed people who I've had, you know, interviewed for some of the work that I do or interviewed on my podcast. I interview people and I, I get them to uh, talk about some of these feelings that they have later in their leadership career. And they're still thinking the same thing. I had a conversation um, with Cameron Schwab, who in Victoria is, is known. He was the youngest CEO in the history of the modern game of AFL. So he was the 22 years of old, was put into the CEO position of the Richmond Football Club. Now, 22 years of age, being thrown into the CEO uh, role of a football club like that with, you know, fans who have opinions, you know, boards, all that kind of stuff. I, I said to him, 22, you must have felt like such an imposter syndrome. And he's uh, that, that sense of imposter syndrome. And he said, I felt it until the day I left. And he's, you know, much older in life now. And I said, so like, what does that mean? He said, because as a leader, there's always a version of yourself that is further along than where you are right now. I think that's part of the innate nature of leaders is that they want to improve and they want to develop. And the challenge is, is you're never there. And so you'll always feel that gap between where I am right now and where I think I should be. And so part of it is going, how do I be content with my growth rather than be discouraged by my gap? Yeah, I think that's a great, I think that's a great example. And I mean, mm. so for you, if you think back to some of your experiences, kind of navigating leadership before you started your own practice, like what are some of the biggest lessons or learnings that, you know, hindsight's such a valuable thing, isn't it? But what do sure you look is. back at now and think, gosh, I wish I knew that then? I, I almost look at everything that I did as a leader through the lens of, oh, I wish I had done that better. And I think it's because naturally I'm a learner. That That is that kind of, I like to look things through the lens of, I wish I'd done something better or different, um, but also kind of appreciate the opportunities that I did have. I mean, there was a, there's a, a few things that come to my mind. Number one, I think was just my ability to be able to say yes and no to the right things. I think early on in leadership, my priority was saying yes to a lot of things. I feel like that was really helpful. And I think saying yes to a lot of things for people who are navigating, you know, people who might even be listening, navigating career, saying yes is really helpful because it gets you, it gets you exposure and it gets you experience. And so when I say yes to something that feels outside of my comfort zone, I learn, I grow, I take the lesson away from it, and I get to apply it. And then at some point you reach that tipping point and it's like, okay, now if I want sustainability, I have to start saying no. To more things. And James, James Clear has a really great, great quote that he, he talks about on this. He said, if you want to become successful, say yes to everything. If you want to stay successful, say no to everything. And I kind of like that, but I kind of would tweak the language of a little bit when it comes to leadership, I would say, yes, we'll get you experience, but no, will help you stay sustainable. And so learning what are the things that I should say yes to and what are the things that I should say no to is probably a big lesson that I, I learned probably both early on, but also a really, in a really hard way. Yeah. What, and what do you think are some examples for, pe you know, for people listening, if we're talking about say, saying yes to everything, but then also getting good at saying no, what? What do you think if you're if you're somebody listening who, you know, perhaps is a is a really technically gifted individual contributor who thinks they want to transition into leadership, 
what should they be saying yes to? I would be saying yes to the things that will get you the experience and the skills that will be required for where you want to be, not necessarily for where you are. And I think you would you would probably have very similar kind of beliefs around this is like, how do I prepare for the role that I, I want rather than just develop the role that I have? One of the things that I've always loved is this metaphor is we often think about career progression as this ladder that we climb. And it's always thinking through what's my next step up. And one of the other pictures of the ways that I've heard described is thinking it more like a lattice in a garden where it moves out. You know, it's that crisscross kind of lattice moving out. And I feel like if your if your desire is just to move up, it's always going to be about seeking positions. But if your desire is to build that lattice, it's about how do I build myself out? And more often than not, the people who I've seen that have actually built themselves out are preparing themselves for what is next. And so one of the things I often said to people is like, how do I be remarkable right now, which is what's required of me in my role, but how do I start to be ready for what's next, which is ultimately how do I make sure that the skills that I'm developing are going to prepare me for my aspirations of where I'd like to be one day. I think listening to you talk to that, I look back now, even at my, you know, previous leadership roles. And I think I invested 99% of my time in the role that I was in. I've actually got an episode coming up about this soon around like my way of, of what I thought was to succeed was just keep working harder, just keep working longer, just keep doing more in this role, in this job you're in right now, and that will define success. I, I didn't stop and look up or around enough to think about where are you going next and how are you how are you showing up as as in in the position that you're in now absolutely to deliver but how are you also preparing yourself and your team and the organization whatever it might be for what is to come and i think that that for a lot of us is where we do get caught up because there's never it's never not anything to do, right? Like we've always got a list as long as our arm of things we need to deliver, tasks we need to tick off, Zoom meetings we need to have, calls we need to have, one-on-ones we need to have with our teams, all of these things that are really important and they serve their purpose, but and we can't not do them. But what is the missed opportunity for us as as leaders of, of not stepping back and kind of scanning that horizon of what's to come and, and where do we want to go, whether that's upwards, sideways, you know, whatever, expanding just the breadth of knowledge that we have to your point as well. And I, I do think that's something we don't do enough. Yeah. I mean, I always love hearing the way that you work with people in helping them to create some sense of aspiration and vision for their life, like, and, and for their career. So rather than going, well, this is where I'm at and I'm just going to be here forever. And, you know, I'll just do whatever kind of comes in front of me, but actually developing a bit of vision for like, where would I like to be? What would I like if I could aspire to something? What might that be? And I often think about, you know, when you're, especially when you're aspiring in leadership or moving in your career, you're often invited into scenarios very intentionally. So you're invited into meetings, you're invited into collaborative conversations. And some people don't necessarily put the weight on that invitation that it probably deserves. And I think for people who are in a career, I often think about three kind of mentalities that you could step into when you go into one of those conversations. And it's generally around a student, a mentor, and a teacher. 
And, and the way that I frame it is like every conversation that you're invited into with someone who's more senior than you, whether it's, you know, a collaborative meeting, whether it's a board meeting, any of those things that you've been invited to go in with the, men, the mindset of a student and just ask yourself, what is everything that I could learn from this room? Listen to the conversation, be curious, ask great questions, like soak up everything that you possibly can from that environment so that you could go away and learn. The second thing is if you've been invited into the room, you're there for a reason, which means you have something to contribute as well. And this came out of a conversation I was having with um, Kendra Banks, who is the managing director at Seek. And she says, you know, often at the time, you know, I've, I've learned in my career when I've been included in a conversation, it's because I have a unique perspective to bring. And so often I think my job is just to sit in the meeting and stay silent, but I'm there because I've actually got something to, to bring. And so both be a student, but also go in with the mindset as if I was a mentor here and I had to share my expertise or share my perspective, what is that perspective? And then the last piece is, is as a teacher, which is what do I take from this experience and use for the benefit of others? So how do I take the lessons and the learning that I've drawn out of this experience and use it to influence the people around me. So people sideways on my team, people on my team, like how do I actually leverage and use it? And I think those three mindsets have always been really helpful in terms of getting the most out of those learning experiences. Yeah, great advice, great advice. And one of the things we often we often talk about is you're paid to have an opinion as well. So when you're, yeah. if you're invited, like to your point, if you're invited into a meeting and, and you're sitting there thinking, oh, who am I to have an opinion? Who am I to... You know, I don't have as much experience as these people or, or whatever it might be. You're, you're paid to have an opinion. You're there because someone believed that you bring a unique expertise, a unique viewpoint to this conversation. You need to share it. Yet, particularly as people are transitioning into leadership or, or management for the first time and all of a sudden we're starting to be invited to these meetings, we can sometimes spend and I know I did this terribly, we, we can spend more time in the physically, right? Physically in the meeting, like my butt's on the chair, but I'm not actually there. I'm having yeah. a whole conversation internally <laughs> with myself, <laughs> separate to everything else that's happening in the room. And because I'm worried about what do I have to add? What value do I have to add? What do I really have to share? Whereas I love your, you know, using those kind of three different hats around, around mm. what you can learn, what you can share, what you can pass on because that the flow on effects of that as well as so much more. Yeah. There's a huge overflow from that. I'm so curious because I mean, you, you work with people to help them to understand some of the stories that they tell themselves and get out of that kind of self defeating mentality. And from your own experience, the people you've worked with, like, how are you, like, how are you kind of reframing some of those internal conversations with people or even the experience that you had with it? One of the biggest reframes that I have had to make is I held a lot of baggage. The, the one that always comes to mind for me, that was a huge self-limiting belief, was this baggage that I used to hold around my age. And therefore, what value do I have to add? And I carried that around with me for so long because I kept, you know, once, you, once you've got a belief, you're obviously looking at that conscious bias. You're looking for the data to just keep validating that that's true. Yep. So then I would notice every time I'd walk into a room or be invited to, to share a thought or an opinion or present or at a conference, whatever it might be, I'm like, yep, here we go again. I'm the youngest person here. I'm going to be, I'm going to be judged. Assumptions will be made. People won't believe in the value that I have because I haven't had X amount of tenure in my role. All of these kinds of things for me was, that was a big one 
for a long time and it still pops up. It absolutely still pops up every now and then as well. But the reframe that I was able to do around that was really around, you know, what unique perspective are you actually bringing that's broadening the echo chamber that's currently in the room because of that unique skill set, because of a different lens on things. And, and that is what is actually needed. You know, diversity of thought and opinion and experience is what organizations need more of to thrive. Yet often we are looking for what well, we think when we then are invited into a room as a leader for the first time, we actually just think, what value can I add here? That is the same as everybody else's. Whereas that's not really value at all. Actually, what value can you add that's completely different to what is here to potentially completely change the direction of a conversation? And so that, that's been a, a biggie for me. It's one I do see come up in, with clients as well. You know, one of the other things that I see come up a lot with people that I work with is... And actually, this is what I would love to pick your brains around is the, the feedback piece and having having feedback conversations and call them difficult conversations, call them courageous conversations, call them whatever, whatever we want to attach to them. But basically having to sit down with somebody, you know, now all of a sudden I'm in a, I'm in a leadership position. I've got to be having one on ones with my team and giving feedback. And then all these little gremlins are now coming up around who am I to give that feedback? They've got more experience than me. What? Uh, what if they don't like what I have to say? What if they argue with me? All of this stems ultimately from a place of fear. I'd be curious to know what it, what is your guidance or advice? Because I imagine that this would be something absolutely that you talk through in some of your, your courses. How do you help leaders reframe? Like I actually hate the word difficult conversation because we're already then going in with the thought that it's going to be difficult. We've already put a neg negative connotation around it. So how do, how do you help leaders kind of navigate that for the first time? Because that for me is something that comes up all the time. All the time. Because who, like, who really loves the idea of a difficult conversation? I don't know many people who think to themselves, I've got to have a difficult conversation. That sounds really fun to me. And <laughs> so- yeah, I can't wait to take can't wait to deliver that. And so most of the people I'm talking to, you know, we talked a little bit earlier on what are the big three problems we see and it's usually around confidence, it's usually around the capability and it's usually around that community aspect of it. And and I go, "Well, what are the what's the answer to that?" And the kind of language and the phrasing that I often use for the people I talk to is we we deliver to the threshold of our capability. We we really can only deliver to how capable we are. If we don't have the skills, we can't deliver on on what we need to deliver on but we rise to our standard of belief. And I think most of the time we can have all the skills and capability to deliver and cut ourselves off at the knees with our own beliefs. And I think where this came from is most of the people were saying to me, you know, I've got an issue with confidence or I've got an issue with, you know, imposter syndrome. I'm like, well, actually, no, you've got an issue with belief. Sitting below the surface underneath that iceberg, right down below there is some unhelpful belief or dysfunctional belief or some rigid belief that is stopping you from stepping into whatever it looks like for you. So my belief about my team and the way that they should interact with me as a leader will determine for me whether that's a difficult conversation or not. And so one of the things that's really helpful to do this is I often talk about your big assumptions. Um, like how do you get your, your big assumptions out of the way? And generally those big, big assumptions are those underlying beliefs. And so if we look at the difficult conversation one as an example, we can go through a, a bit of a, a process and a framework and go, okay, 
what is the goal that I would like to achieve? Okay, well, I'd like to have what I see as a difficult conversation. And then we go, okay, what are my immediate thoughts around this that come up when I think about that conversation? Well, my immediate thought is my team member may not like me as a result of this. Like if I tell them that they've done something wrong, they're going to hate me as a leader. And as we dig below that thought, what's a belief that sits underneath that and which is almost creates this competing goal. And this competing goal is, well, I can't have a difficult conversation with a team member and have them like me at the same time. And that all of a sudden starts to create these assumptions that difficult conversations means my team don't like me. And immediately, if that's your logic and your train of thought as you walk through that process, when I go, hey, I need to deliver some feedback and it's a bit difficult, oops, I don't want to do that because my team won't like me. And so we need to start rewiring some of those unhelpful beliefs. Well, it's possible to have a difficult conversation and still maintain the relationship with your team member. And at the same time, why is it really important that your team member likes you? What underlying belief is it there that actually is really, really triggered when I feel like maybe they won't like me? And what does that actually mean? Does it mean that they don't respect me? Well, maybe not. Does it mean that I'm not a buddy or a friend with them? Well, possibly. Is that my role as a leader? And it starts to kind of really peel back the layers to the onion and go, okay, why is this immediate thought getting in the way of me doing something that's really important right now? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to kind of piggyback off that as well. And I love that, love that assumption space in there is what, and I often try to challenge people on this, like what assumptions are we also making about that person's that we need to have that conversation with ability to receive my feedback as well. Like by us kind of thinking that if I'm having this difficult conversation and the belief that I'm holding under it is if I have that conversation, they won't like me therefore. And I'm, and I'm worried about that. That's kind of one piece. But then in addition to that, what assumptions are we making about that individual's ability to, to take that feedback on and what are we potentially taking from them by making that assumption about them as well? And I always say to people, you know, whenever they're like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to upset people. I'm like, well, is it, you don't want to, you don't want to upset them or you don't want to upset yourself. Which one is it really? Yeah. But also if I had leaders sitting in a room talking about me and my opportunities for growth and, you know, what are some of the gaps that perhaps we need to close? You know, what is the, you know, the potential that's yet to be realized, et cetera. And somebody didn't have that conversation with me because of perhaps their fear of me not liking them. I would find that really frustrating because what a missed opportunity that is now taken from me by that decision being made about me and for me. And so that is kind of also the other conversation that I try to have with people too, is like, I think the belief thing is huge and the belief thing as well. Once you start, once you start challenging your, your beliefs and you constantly keep using this question of, you know, like I reckon probably five, 10 times a day, I'll have a thought bubble that'll pop up. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Why do you think that? Where'd that come from? And once you can really start challenging yourself on those beliefs and the assumptions to your point that we might be making, like your whole world just opens up, doesn't it? And one of the things that became really clear for me a couple of years ago was also just around how much of an impact the in the earlier part of my career I, I worked worked for some great organizations but I, I didn't realize until much later on just what an impact what I saw what I heard what I learned had on the way that I then showed up as a leader 
following on from that. And one, one that really stands out to me is this, is this piece around presenteeism. And I think back to some of the organizations I worked in where, you know, loyalty was demonstrated by the, the length of time that I spent at my desk. Didn't matter what I was doing, didn't matter the output or even the outcome, more importantly, of what I was achieving. But my time at my desk and so that pressure to work longer, work harder, I mean, I think that that habit was ingrained really from school, but was certainly became something that felt like a behavior I also then had to continue to tap into in the early part of my career. Unbeknownst to me at the time, I then took those learnings and was looking for that in other people when I then also started leading a team. And so it became this belief around working harder, working longer, whoever's at their desk the longest is the most loyal and you know therefore the most dedicated. And it really took me a couple of years after moving into a leadership role for the first time to, to notice that belief and the impact that it was having and then challenge myself on it as well. And I think, and I, I'm so aware of it now because I see it play out in conversations with clients all the time, with organizations, you know, with, with leaders that are like, oh, they're just, they're not committed. Okay, tell me more about that. What gives you that impression? Oh, well, they're, you know, they're away or they're offline or they're this or they're that. I'm like, okay, what assumptions might we be making about that? And what are we really measuring our leaders and our teams on? Is it time at desk or is it outcomes and the achievement of outcomes? So I'd love to, what do you like, what do you think about that? What do you see? I would echo everything you said in terms of this, the shift. One of the shifts that I talk to new leaders about is the priority shift. And the priority shift is what is the work that I should spend my time doing? And what's the most important thing that I should be working on in a new leadership role? Because some people, I know they get promoted to leadership and they're like, I would have so much time to get all my work done if I didn't have to deal with the people on my team. And I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think you've just come to the sudden realization now people are part of your job. They're not just an element of your job. They're actually some of the high, highest priority of your role. And, and that's a big realization for a lot of people. And so I mean, closing the loop on that difficult conversations piece, employees are twice as likely to be disengaged at work if they're ignored more than if they just only hear negative feedback from their manager. So if you're avoiding these conversations because you're like, oh, I just don't want to make that person feel uncomfortable. Or I don't want to feel uncomfortable as a result of it. You're actually having more impact on a person by ignoring them than if the conversation even go, doesn't go as well as you think it is. And so I think that's a really important thing to remember is like my job is to help develop the people on my team. And so by ignoring that, I'm robbing that person of the chance to grow and to learn and have opportunity. Now, of course, celebration and recognition also plays a really important part, the other part of that. And I think focusing on a person's strengths really helps amplify that, but at least bare minimum, give people the feedback they need to be able to learn, grow and develop. And that kind of became, becomes one of those priority shifts, which is around what should I be focusing my time and energy and effort on as a leader? And one of those is people development. Like how do I develop my people? And then the second one is outcome quality. Most of our career, we're rewarded based on output quantity. Like, and that's the challenge. Like when you think about most things in your early career, you were me measured by how much work did you get done? How long did you stay at your desk? How many projects were you able to deliver on? And then in leadership, you're not measured by output quantity anymore because you're not just responsible for yourself. Now you're responsible for a team. And so the, the distinction that I encourage people to make is the reflection of the question of rather than is enough work getting done, the distinction is, is the right work getting done? 
And a really simple way practically for people who are listening to think through that is ask yourself, what are the priorities of my role in my leadership? What are the things that are most important, brought the most energy, excitement, enthusiasm in my role? Put them in the right-hand column, then go back and over the last week, track everything that you did over the week, put it all in the left-hand column, and then draw a line between everything on the left-hand side that contributed to the things on the right-hand side. And then take a look at everything that's left over that didn't add to the right-hand column and just do your best to start clearing that stuff out of your schedule. Absolutely. And there's probably a connect the dot piece in here as well around that, you know, to your point around how we're kind of in the early part of our career, as I touched on and, and, and you have as well, like that we're measured very much on time, you know, output, time at desk, et cetera, et cetera. And we probably measure, measure ourselves on that as well. And so then we transition into this space now where we're leading a team and essentially we are responsible for what are others achieving. And that probably then ties back into some of even what we were saying earlier around this kind of confidence piece there, the imposter coming up, because all of a sudden we're going, well, what am I doing? What am I really doing? Like, what am I supposed to do now? I'm no longer able to just churn through all of these tasks. So what impact am I really having? How will people know that I'm doing a good job? Then all these little gremlins start to come up and that, that right there though, that is the shift. Yeah. That right there is the shift. And I think there are people, and I'd be, be keen to hear your take on this. There are people that like when they have that realization, are like, oh no, that's kind of not what I wanted to do. You know, I thought I stepped up the, the ladder, right? I got my fancy new title and I got my pay rise and I got my new desk or I don't know, whatever, whatever the perks are. This is actually kind of not what I want to be spending my time doing though you know, developing others, growing others, kind of inspiring people towards a common goal. I just want to go back and do do the doing of the job that I was doing before. Like, and so what are you, you know, what, what advice would you have for people who kind of, they might not have verbalized it outwardly, but they're having that inner dialogue around, oh, I'm here and now I don't know if I want to be. Yeah, I think that's such a fascinating observation because I think we're, we have some people, they go, well, aspiring to leadership is my career progression. And that's what I want to do. I don't think we talk enough about people who are actually content to not progress in leadership yes. or to get into leadership and realize, you know what, this is not my jam. I think what you're touching on here is, is this element of really the progression in leadership is a progression of solving more complex problems and therefore delivering value to the business. And so the higher you go in leadership, all you're doing is solving the most complex problems from within the business. So by the time you reach a CEO level of a business, you're dealing with like the top 3% of the decisions of the business that nobody else can be making. Because if somebody else can be making the decision, they should be making the decision. And so when you go from being a team member, you deliver value to the business by, you know, ultimately solving problems. And then when you become a team leader, now you don't just deliver value to the business by solving the technical problems. Now you deliver value to the business by solving some of the people problems. And then you find yourself in maybe a, you know, a senior HR role. And now you start solving the more strategic people problems in the business and the complexity of that. And then you start to get into those kind of CEO roles where now you're starting to create and solve the complex visionary and strategic problems of the business. And so if you get to a team member level and you don't like solving those complex problems, that's okay. Like maybe leadership isn't for you. And, and that we should normalize that experience of a person saying, you know what, I'm okay to be a technical expert and be really good at my job, but people's not my jam. 
Would you agree? I agree completely. I agree completely. And I think it's something we don't talk enough about. And so then we make that really hard for people to feel like they can make that call. And then we end up with people that are in these leadership positions who don't want to be there, who aren't really that invested or interested in, and shouldn't in be there. a lot of what we were just talking about. And they shouldn't be there, but they now feel like, well, I'm here now. Where else would I go? And that is so damaging for organizations to find themselves in that position. So I'm a huge fan of let's have those conversations, right? Let's normalize. Good for you. In my opinion, those people are the people who deserve the medal, who they gave it a crack, right? I moved in yeah. here and I, and I gave it a crack. I've realized though, this isn't where I want to be or this, um, maybe I'm not fulfilled. Or maybe I've also learned that this kind of role isn't playing to my strengths and I don't have it in me to push hard enough to get there either. Great. I love you for acknowledging that. Now, where can we move you then where we can play to your strengths? But those, I wholeheartedly agree, if you can't tell, those are the conversations yeah. that that we don't have. Yeah, because I think people, people probably listening, think the th important thing to remember is you didn't fail. Like if you decide leadership is not for me, really, it's not that leadership's not for you. Maybe it's that management or people leadership is not for you every person has the capacity to lead. And I think if we go back to leadership is really ultimately influence. Can you have influence without title? Yes. Can you have influence without leading people in a business? Yes. Can I influence my family? Can I influence my friends? Can I influence my sphere? Yes. So can I be a leader? Of course you can. Do I like managing people? No, that's okay too. Yeah. Great summary. I think that's fantastic. And hope like I, my hope is that this conversation just even inspires a couple of people who might be listening, thinking, yeah, I think that's me to sit down and think about like, write a list. What are the things in your week that you really enjoy doing? What are the things in your week you kind of don't enjoy doing, right? That don't fill your cup. And then look at, look, analyze that list, analyze the list. What, what are the activities? <laughs> that are sitting more in the column that you that you do find fulfilling and satisfying versus the column that you don't. If there is more things sitting in the column that you do not find satisfying that are around managing other people, right? Having those one-on-ones, et cetera, et cetera, then maybe that is the catalyst for you to think about who in your organization you can have that next conversation with. I can't speak on behalf of all HR people in the world, but I'm going to. I think a lot of them would love someone who came to them and said, I've done some reflection on where I'm at and this is what I've learned. What do you think we can do about this? To me, I would have welcomed that conversation with open arms and I would have welcomed that person's honesty and, and interest, like just their ability to kind of look within, and think about where am I at and where do I want to be? So I hope that inspires kind of a couple more conversations. Now, I am conscious of time. We know how much we love to talk. So I'm, I'm locking in for the day. So I know you're, <laughs> I know you're wrapping this up, but I've, I've got my calendar blocked out for the next few hours. So feel free to wrap up as much as you like, but I'm locked in. You're like, I'm here. I'm here for the long haul. Look, we, we can definitely continue this conversation after, but I'm, I've got a couple of kind of hot seat type questions for you that have come through to me from a few listeners, particularly when I, when I've said that we're having this conversation. So I've got two questions for you. Happy for me to ask you them. Yeah, please do. Awesome. So the first part is, is a little more around culture and this question around what part can an individual actually play in changing culture inside an organization? Big question. Big question. Big question. So I think there's two parts to that. 
And mostly because I don't know the person who asked the question. The first one would be I'm an individual people leader within my organization, which means I've got a little bit of influence, but I'm not really the person who's designing or is the architect of our you know, organizational culture, to which I would say one thing. And the other person may be that they're a team member and they're an individual at that extent within the business, in which case they contribute to culture. And so my, my answer to both of those is you have a huge influence on culture. Um, I've been doing research over the last few months, exploring kind of culture within this middle management space within businesses. And one of the things that was quite confronting to me was that when we asked people, is culture something you can influence or does it just happen? 50% of the people we surveyed said culture just happens. You can't influence it. And that was very confronting to me because culture absolutely can be influenced. And ultimately every single person has a, has a role to play in, in influencing culture. And so there's two parts to that for the person who's a people leader within the business. What I would say is that when you look at the grand scheme of things, your team is one aspect of your organization's culture and you can create a a culture within your organization that is a safe haven for the people in a really toxic organization and you could have a really healthy organization and have a really toxic team culture and so that says to me that you actually play a really important and integral role in shaping culture within the within your organization so your culture will either be the default way that we kind of do things in terms of the norms that show up in our in our team and it often by default has a whole range of issues that come from trying to interpret culture and that will kind of bring its own set of problems or your culture is intentionally designed and you actually say, I'm going to make our culture of our team a bit more explicit to the people around us so they don't have to try and interpret it. And by doing that, you can actually influence your team culture and that team culture can have a ripple effect out to the people around you. If you're an individual within a business going, how do I actually play my part in changing the culture? Number one, is you need to have visibility on what the culture is that you're trying to create. Because if it's if it's not visible to you, there's questions you can ask to try and understand the culture. One of the phrases I often use is clarify, don't interpret. Like if you think something is a way that we do things here, don't assume it's the way that we do things here. Ask why do we do that this way here? So that you can either say, that aligns with what I do or it doesn't. But the other part of it is that culture is really built around averages, not aspirations, although culture can be aspirational. And what I mean by that is culture ultimately is gonna be the sum average of the way that we do things as a collective. So if I say on our team, we're a collaborative team and we'd say that, but 80% of the people on our team are non-collaborative and they're siloed and they work on their own, then we're not a collaborative team. We're just, we're, we're, we can't say that we are, but we can say we aspire to be a collaborative team. And when we know that and we're clear on that, then I ask myself the question, how do I show up and be more of what we're trying to create? And that, by doing that, creates a collective impact. Yeah, great answer. And I know that is a big, I mean, that's like a topic in its own right, absolutely. But I think, sure is. <laughs> I think you did an incredible summary just then. And so the second question is around effective communication. And so specifically around, you know, as organizations do kind of grow, they're ensuring that our message is heard the way we want it to be heard becomes more and more difficult. So what kind of advice might you have for, for leaders around ensuring that they are actually communicating their message as effectively as what they no doubt want to? I reckon on that one, I mean, again, like huge topics like conversations around communication. And so I'll do the best that I can to kind of give something that I think is helpful and practical. I think like most things, we, we're operating in a world which is information rich and attention poor. Like that's the 
context in which we're operating in. And so when we recognize that, if you look at basic communication framework, what it is, is it's I, I have a meaning in my mind. I encode that meaning and then I communicate it with words. And often at times it's it's a, a, a poor ability to be able to translate thinking into, into, into words. I transfer that to you and I compete with all the noise that's going on around us, all the distractions that are competing for your attention and your time and everything like that. You hear it and then you try to decode it in your mind. And then once you peel it back, you interpret the meaning of what that person meant to say. And more often than not, we go, you've said something, we've exchanged words and I walk away. And I realize afterwards that what you meant to say didn't actually get communicated across in your words. And so one of the things that I think is so important is communication is not a transfer or an exchange of words, it's a transfer of meaning. And so did my meaning get transferred to you when I was communicating? And so I would say if you're speaking and you go, I want my message to come across and you kind of think you've been understood, like it's kind of that thing of like, I think they're getting this. What I would say is number one, consider how else could I deliver this message just to reinforce that this person's heard the meaning. So when I say, hey, I need this due on Wednesday and then I go, yeah, they've understood that it's due Wednesday. I go, just to clarify, it's Wednesday at 9am or it's Wednesday close of business. And just to make sure that, okay, I've delivered it a couple of ways to make sure that there's no room for interpretation of how I've said that. If you're speaking, if you're delivering a message and you go, I'm not really sure I've been understood. I, I kind of, I think they might've been misunderstanding here. What I would say, the second thing is just check, like go, Hey, can you just repeat that back to me? What did you hear? Or like, Hey, can you just re reinforce, like make sure that you've heard what I've said and then just check whether or not they've actually said the right thing. And then on the other side of that, if you're the listener, if you're receiving a message, what I would say is if you think you've understood it on your end, just clarify, like just make sure with the person go, Hey, this is what I'm hearing. And this is where active listening is like, what I would say is a number one key. Hey, I heard you say Wednesday. I just want to confirm, is that Wednesday 9am? Is that Wednesday close of business? Oh, it's Wednesday close of business. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. It's, it's clarifying rather than trying to interpret. And the last thing is if you are sure that you've understood it, just confirm it. Like, hey, I'm just going to confirm with you. This is what I'm hearing in this. Is that right with you? And let them actually confirm with that. And I think if you interpret both of those things as the sender and the receiver, it goes a long way in making sure you exchange meaning and not just words. Yeah, great. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's so, you know, paraphrasing and active listening and all of those kinds of things we talk to death about in, in leadership and development and all those kinds of things. But in the moment when, you know, the noise around us is everywhere and we're, uh, to use the phrase I used earlier, we're being pulled like a pork bun, all of those kinds of things are happening. That's where it gets forgotten. And so that's why it becomes so important, I think, just to be as, as, not even just as just as humans to build yeah. that muscle of actively listening. Let me play back to you what I'm hearing, just to clarify. Da 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 da. But so often I think it, we don't because that takes a little bit longer, and I'm usually rushing off to that next thing. So instead, <laughs> I'll make I'll I'll make an assumption. I'll draw meaning from what I think you've said, but then we take action based on that, or we pass that message on to somebody else who then takes action on that, and then we find these situations where the initial commentary is so far removed from you know how that's now kind of found its way down the down the flow down the river and now action's been taken and time's been wasted resources have been invested you know opportunities been lost because we didn't take that extra couple of minutes up front and so i think your advice is golden absolutely golden and a, and a really important habit to get into. So thank you for letting me throw those two big you. questions at you. Now, last 
Last two questions I've got for you, and I ask all of my guests this, and I'm hoping if you don't say this, then I'm going to say this for you, but I'll let you, I'll say what you say. In terms of a book that you can confidently say has had an impact on your life, I know you'll have lots, but what is the first one that comes to mind for you? You know, it's a bit of a, an interesting one. The one that has really impacted my life is, is a, a book called The Moment of Lift by Melinda Gates. And, and that was, I, I did that as part of a book club and it is so, so helpful about what it actually looks like to, to empower women across all different spheres of life. And as a man, like I understand the privileged place that I come from and what it really did was highlight some of that privilege and really helped me to understand what does it look like to, to really understand that privilege and use my privilege for good. And so it, it really did make a big impact on my life. Awesome. Great one. And I'm going to add one in there as well, given that you have not. Surely your own wonderful book, <laughs> Lead the Room, communicate a message that counts in moments that matter, which is sitting right next to me right now. I'm going to say that's had an impact on your life. What do you think? Yeah, it traumatized me in a, in a, in, in a good way. <laughs> Writing it was quite traumatizing, but no, I, yes, I, I do like it. I, one of those things that, you know, when people say, I hate the first book I wrote, I wrote it nearly three years ago now and I look back and I still love reading it, which is weird. Like occasionally I'll see a thing and I'll be like, oh, that's really good. And I'll be like, oh, I wrote that. And, and that's kind of a weird moment, but yeah, I do like it. I love it. I think it's a great book and I'll be dropping the link in the show notes. Strongly encourage everyone listening to read it. <laughs> oh, truly, I'm not just blowing smoke up your butt. Like it was huge, hugely engaging to read. And I like it because I felt maybe because I have had a few conversations with you, but I felt like you were talking to me. And I yeah, well, I, I didn't, I didn't record an audio book on the first one. And so people will ask like, oh, can I get it on Audible? I was like, if you just, I'll give you my number. You call me once a day. I'll read a chapter to you at a time and more than happy to support in that way. <laughs> Love it. And lastly, what is a quote that you live by? It's a meaningful quote that you live by. I, I use it quite a lot because it is one of those ones that speaks to probably the essence of who I am as a curious person. It's one from Madeline Langle. And she says, the moment we begin to think we have all the answers, we forget all the questions. And that one for me is just this constant reminder that what I'll often say to people is good leaders know how to speak and great leaders know when not to. Yes. Yes. Great one. Shane, you're a dream. Can you tell us for those that will no doubt want to get in contact with you after listening to all of your gems what is the best way for people to get in touch with you uh, look I, I hang out on pretty much anywhere under the username of shane m hatton so you can pretty much find me anywhere even surprisingly tiktok although i wouldn't suggest tiktok as a place to, to really connect with me <laughs> it's usually a place where i go to like waste a lot of time but if you really want to connect shane m hatton on linkedin is the best place for us to hang out or just through my website awesome this has been a fantastic conversation and I am so grateful for your time. Thank you for being with me. And thank you for putting your thoughts, ideas, voice out into the world. It is so important and it's so needed. Love it. Thanks, Shane. Well, that's it for another episode of the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast. It has been amazing to have you here and I am so grateful for you taking the time to pop me in your ears as you go about your day or night. Remember to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Eating Your Cake Too. And if we aren't connected on LinkedIn yet, reach out and say hi. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, then I would love if you would leave me a review so that others can find the podcast and come and hang out with me here too. Until next episode, you've got this. You can do it. You are doing it. 
And remember to sell yourself with confidence. Hey there. Thanks for hanging on and thank you again so much for listening to the podcast. I truly love having you with me, but I want to make sure that you know if you're ready to work together exactly how we can do it. There are two ways to work with me individually. The first is through my private one-on-one coaching program where I only take a very limited number of clients each year by application. In this program, we create a bespoke plan for you designed to get you smashing your goals. If you're in need of someone to help you step into leadership, take control of your career, or design a powerful and energizing action plan to ensure you are seen, heard, and noticed at work or in your business, then this may be the program for you. The second way to work with me is through my private one-on-one Sell Yourself with Confidence program. This six-month proven program is purposefully created and structured, guaranteeing you get results. It's focused on four major barriers that I so often see preventing women from selling themselves. So at the end of this program, you'll walk away with a whole host of tangible deliverables, including a new pimped up resume, LinkedIn profile, relationship currency map, a unique selling proposition, a speaking with impact toolkit, and so much more. If you are ready to step up in your career or leadership, earn more, be heard more, and build an impactful and purposeful personal brand, then now is the time for you to do it. This private program will only be around for the next few months before we launch our global group Sell Yourself with Confidence program. If you feel like I would also be a good fit for your organization, let's chat about how together we can create more confident, courageous, and self-aware leaders capable of driving positive change in themselves, their teams, and in your organization. Jump on my website and download the services info pack. I'd love to chat to you. Book a call in my calendar. The link is in my show notes. Thanks again so much for listening.